How's it going, fellas? It's going great. How are you? Good. I'm tired. I didn't really sleep much last night. You're. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here with a hard coffee and a and a fully loaded vape pod, and I'm ready to go. Fuck yeah. Because I fucking show up, you know? <laughs> Half the battle. I fucking battle. show up. Yeah, that's what they say. Uh, so, happy birthday, David. Yes, thank you. Happy birthday, Chris. Uh, thank you. Bunch of Scorpios here. It's our season. It is our season. It's our, it's our fucking year. This has been, 2020 is a Scorpio year. Like, just... Yeah, I'd have to agree full with of, that. full of chaos and vengeance and secrecy. <laughs> yep. I haven't taken vengeance in so long. It's <laughs> been too long <laughs> since I've eaten the delicious cold meal. Got got vengeance. like a month and a half. It's still still take vengeance on something or someone. Yeah. Yeah, there's still, still time. time. There's always time for vengeance. <laughs> you know, oh, make time man. for you. Self vengeance is self care, you know? <laughs> Uh, it's it's important that you ve- take uh, take vengeance on you know stuff that matters to you. Did I ever tell you how I I willed someone into getting um, uh, poison ivy all over their junk? Damn! What? Yeah, in no, my in no, my, I didn't tell- know you were a fucking witch, Chris. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, in, in my this. my darkest um, period of. Uh, bad vibes being a shitty person um there was this dude i just couldn't fucking stand i really i really didn't like him and i didn't like some things he did to me and i conspired uh privately to uh figure out a plan by which i would put a bunch of poison ivy um laced water in a spritz bottle and like spritz it on his underwear when he wasn't in his room and thus give him a horrible set of rash on his uh that's fucked dude yeah pretty fucking dark uh and then i was like you know what forgiveness is a gift not to my foes but to myself and i totally forgave Mm. the dude and didn't follow through with any plan um uh just sort of you know having had ruminated on it a lot and then about a week and a half later it just happened to him he his fucking nuts and balls and ass were just completely inflamed with poison ivy uh from faults what? of his own yeah <laughs> like no. just you know doing do doing you like his... try to wipe with it on a camping trip i have no idea but like uh i happen to have some inside uh knowledge because i knew the his partner at the time and uh yeah he just got a super bad poison ivy case all over his junk and uh i'm almost certain Damn. it had the universe was like if you're gonna if you're going to deny this for yourself, we're going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was righteous. It was the most I mean, like maybe, maybe maybe he just likes to teabag bushes. And like, yeah, maybe. It's just like a weird thing that he likes to do. And, and, and this time it, it literally bit him in the ass, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, looking back, it's like, I, I'm somewhat ashamed to tell that story. Because I usually don't, I really don't wish ill on almost anybody. And, like, you know, there was only a really brief period when I, like, really had, you know, my, my vision reddened by uh, anger and uh, spite. <laughs> well, you know, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever sought vengeance against someone. I'm trying to think. I got nothing. I'm perfect. Sorry, guys. <laughs> 
So what are we talking about today, fellas? What uh, are we gonna get into? I just found this thing in Politico that has that has a list. I have that same. F- yeah. Okay. Good. I have that same fucking thing pulled up on my computer. Okay. Good. So we got by some of Biden's cabinet potential floaters, huh, like boop, uh, have, have been floated, and it's really not looking good, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly his Treasury Secretary pick, which comes out Tuesday, is supposed to placate some progressives, but uh so far it's a lot of corporate people, a couple of energy execs, or rather not energy execs, but um people who've taken a lot of money from the oil industry. A couple of Republicans, of course. Yeah. It sounds pretty uh par for the course, pretty much what I had expected. Yeah. Yeah, not terribly uh, shocking, but, you know, it's really like kind of gives the lie to this idea that Biden can be at all pushed left, which I don't think like most serious left commentators or thinkers really uh, assumed would ever happen. But, you know, it's nice to have our paranoia and worst suspicions confirmed for us. You got to love that. Yeah, I mean, like, just... It's the very, very top, you know, just like the first person you hit uh, uh, in this Politico article. And of course, they put defense first, because let's be real, that's the the cabinet pr- uh, position that has like power is uh, got all the guns. Uh, this this like CEO of a company you've never heard of called West Exec Advisors, which sounds like a like company in like Westworld that uh, builds killer robots or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's just um uh, yeah it's it's just like some uh uh dark creepy um uh strategic advisory firm uh, that offers unique <laughs> geopolitical and policy expertise and it's like it's, it's it's just some some mercenary spy company is you know like she could be uh the girl boss of the sec- of of the defense department well Sweet. yeah State Susan Rice, of course. Nice, obviously, nice. yeah. And of course, uh, floating Rahm Emanuel for transportation. Oh, really? Which rules? Yeah, yeah, absolutely rules. Long time beloved progressive leader Rahm Emanuel. Uh, yeah. So, um, the Justice Department. They the the top one is Doug Jones, the uh, the guy that defeated. Um, that, that, or he became an Alabama senator in that runoff uh, from that because there was someone that was just like too obviously a pedophile. Oh, yeah, yeah. That? yeah I do remember he, that, he, yeah. Yeah, he won against, um, I don't even remember the guy's name, but I do remember that he was like, he's not allowed to go to like, the local mall because he keeps hitting on like 17-year-old girls or something. Uh, <laughs> Jesus well, Christ. Yeah, his name. Yeah, he so he had originally won by like the narrowest margin ever um against that pedophile. And I remember the there was some stat where it was like basically the only reason he won is like 100% of black women voted uh against the pedophile, but like uh, all the other demographics were like what was that? Roy Moore. That's his Roy, name. Yeah, Roy Moore, yeah. But all the other demographics were like pretty evenly split. Once again, black women saving us from the fucking brink. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But this guy lost his re-election bid? Yeah, he lost. Nice. And don't you love it when you fail upward? That's like... Yeah, right? It's just like, it's all all uh, Democrats care about is like, who's the nicest loser? 
that we can we can just put somewhere else because they don't have a backbench, right? So you just like sort of try something, and then when you inevitably fail in some like right wing theocrat freak, they're just like, okay, well you can go do something else now. Yeah, he lost to uh, Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> right nice. tommy tuberville my favorite name of 2020 i must say yeah former auburn university football coach tommy tuberville is now uh the senator from alabama so but getting back to Rahm Emanuel, because this will really just be an absolute kick in the fucking teeth to anybody like left of moderate um you know, just an absolute scumbag piece of shit. And I saw somebody shared a, a tweet that was a series of screenshots from the um, from Jamil Smith, the senior writer at Rolling, a senior writer at Rolling Stone. And he tweeted, black voters didn't help elect Joe Biden to the presidency so he could elevate Rahm Emanuel to his cabinet, the mayor who helped cover up Laquan McDonald's murder by Chicago police for more than a year. It's an insult that this is even being considered. Now, Jamil also very recently tweeted, um, pissed off at Sanders because Sanders dismissed Biden as backed by the corporate establishment, even after black voters swung the tide of this primary. He keeps carelessly tossing these terms around, not realizing or perhaps caring whom he is branding with them. And then the third panel this person posted is actually from the, uh, if you guys remember, the Podesta email leaks in which the um, it was revealed the way that Robbie Mook was coordinating work with uh, bloggers and columnists to write about to write critically about Sanders from a racial justice and reproductive rights perspective, and this included Jessica Valenti, Sadie Doyle, uh, Gabe Ortiz, and of course Jamil Smith. So it's it's like literally the definition of you know reaping what you sow. Like, like none of this is is at all surprising to people no, who <laughs> who you know supported Bernie Sanders or were otherwise critical of these sort of establishment candidates, and it's just incredible. Like this, you know, fuck around and find out shit that is currently going on with mainstream commentators on this shit. Yeah, and and like, uh, um, uh, Emmanuel isn't even the most likely it seems, uh, to be transportation secretary. The one that, uh, Politico seems to be favoring is, uh, uh, uh Los Angeles's current mayor, Eric Garcetti, who is him- mm-hmm. himself, like, um, is just obsessed with the Olympics. Like, he's been trying to get LA to have the Olympics for, like, our, our entire natural lives or something. Like, it's just all he wants. It, is he just like tied up with um like a giant stadium building like corporation? It, probably, but <laughs> but the the thing that just in general I think the the Olympics is good for is like it sets you up for national politics because like that's how we got Mitt Romney. Remember when he was running in uh in uh twelve, his big thing was uh mayor of Massachusetts or <laughs> mayor governor of Massachusetts. Uh, it's a Republican in a blue state. We know it's a shitty yeah, state, yeah, but you yeah. can't just like hey, demote hey. their governor to mayor, hey. David. It's a beautiful state. Put some fucking respect on that state. Uh, but the, but then, uh, um, but then it was also he ran the the winter the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. Like that was so like he so getting the Olympics to your city, big feather in your cap to be uh to go up in 
the the fail ladder of democratic politics but then also um it, yeah it just brings like a shit ton of of global finance capital to your city and gives you an opportunity to like just blast entire neighborhoods and just like demolish them for a stadium or, or for like an Olympic village or something. Just like a- anyone who is just gung ho on getting a, uh, uh, an Olympics in their city is just an absolute, absolute piece of shit. The uh, Bloomberg wanted a New York city, uh, uh, can Olympic you imagine the fucking forever. Olympics in New York City? Ugh, no. Like the <laughs> worst city in the we're, country we're, to try to navigate like large numbers of people. Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, they, they they wanted um that's what they wanted the Hudson Yards site for. So like where they're building the Hudson Yards right now with like all those uh fancy buildings that track you all the time. Uh they were going to put mm-hmm. just like a gigantic stadium. They wanted the Jets. And then it would and then it would uh uh, have the Jets in it after that, so that New York Jets would play like in Manhattan. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so dumb, <laughs> awful. Yeah, um, it looks like they are still on track to try the Tokyo 2021 uh, Olympics for the the summer. Um, right, but because we'll that, see how that like goes. Terrible idea. To, like that's supposed to be the light at the end of the tunnel that we're supposed to look forward to. Is like normalcy is is Tokyo <laughs> running the Olympics. Yeah, and uh, they're gonna. I, do you know if they're gonna have it like every or three years later, or if they're just gonna like suddenly shift the four-year window by one forever until Ooh, we get yeah, the next I pandemic? I have to imagine they'll just that uh, shifting the whole thing by a year would probably fuck up a, like a whole bunch of other stuff. So probably not. They probably won't shift it. I don't know. I don't know how the Olympics works. I don't really understand why we still do it other well no i guess i do because it's just like it, it's a, a finance uh, it's a grift like now. everything else yeah, yeah yeah so that's what's going on with the biden cabinet i don't know do you guys have anything else to add to oh well, i mean we have the even... absolute greatest turn in 2020 <laughs> such a plot twist such a such a face turn is it a commerce secretary uh the the quibi ceo the person who like fucking drove a co- <laughs> every company that she has like run into the ground, like <gasps> like HP mm. and then eBay, like two companies that you just never hear about anymore. And then like got the keys to to Quibi, and it just like instantly failed. It just like fucking face planted the second it went live. Yeah, what was the deal behind that? Did, was that like some type of like money laundering scheme? Like who thought that that was going to succeed? Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me, is that it was just, like, we have to reinvest, like, $5 billion out of, like, some, like, the next Bernie Madoff. We have to move that money into something above board. Let's just, I don't know, make, like, and then they just, like, someone does a line of coke, and then they're like, uh, 15-minute videos, but it's HBO. And they're like, yeah. And then, and then, that's, and then that's it. It's just like, okay, what if, like, TikToks, but they're a little bit longer... And they cost like twenty dollars a month. And like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Sign me it. up. <laughs> no one, look, no one pays attention to anything anymore. So what if we just like make something that people pay for and not pay attention to, and and, and everyone will feel good about it, and and we'll we'll get Idris Elba. We'll get Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I've never I've never experienced failing up. But it seems, I mean, I kind of feel like a failure for never having done it because it seems really just like the way to go. Um, 
in the current media landscape. Yeah, I really need to fail at something better to get, like, more money. Yeah. (laughs) The whole axiom of there's no such thing as bad press, you know? If you get your name in the papers a lot, um, you know, you can just keep being relevant and thus being asked to uh, jump on and lend your your name to uh, supporting all types of fucked up shit. Yeah. Uh, So... It's day one, right? Like, this is when we're supposed to start pushing Biden left? Yes. Well, well, now we have to worry about the 22 midterms, right? Oh, they oh. keep pushing it back when we're allowed to start criticizing Biden. You know, like, it's day one is always just on the horizon. Like, right now, the the, you know, moderate complaint about leftists criticizing Biden is like, he's not even in the White House yet. And Trump's trying to do a coup. So we have to stop him from doing the coup uh, before you can start saying anything bad about him because the orange man is still a threat. And so then, you know, once he gets elected, yeah, it's going to be like, isn't this a time for national unity? Shouldn't we be healing these divides? And then it's going to be, what about the midterms? And then it's going to be, you know, well, Trump might run again. So, you know, we have to really like rally behind a candidate. It's just it's 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 never going to end. And, you know, people saw this coming, but it's still just a little bit awe inspiring to watch it play out so starkly. Yeah, I'm still looking through all these cabinet positions and it's just so many failures. Just everyone who is. <laughs> like Heidi Heidkamp for in, for yeah. agriculture, like just fucking loot. Like what? Like th- this? Oh god! Like all the things about her little bio here are are infuriating. One, uh, Trump considered her for 2016. So you know, uh, g- good job on the uh, uh, on on the damage control there. You know, we're we're all about harm reduction here. All right, so let's consider. The same fucking people Trump suggested, you know, like like let's let's give them a chance. And then two, why did why does she like need a job right now? Because she fucking lost her, uh, a re-election <laughs> bid, and she supports the Keystone XL pipeline. Like fucking cool. <laughs> it looks like yeah. um, uh, famous CIA spook Pete Buttigieg might be uh, the VA um, secretary. Like what is what? I mean, I don't really. What does he even do that makes him? Yeah, like good for that. He's he's a best selling author, right? And a podcaster. Yeah, I think you guys need to. You know, we need to show a little solidarity with our fellow podcasters. I haven't listened. I actually to don't it. think Buttigieg for VA is that bad because, like, he is. You know, for whatever, like, VA is a fairly harmless. All you can do is fuck up the VA, and it's already so fucked that, like, I don't really see that being a major threat. I guess as like um, a McKinsey Institute alum, he's good at privatizing things, and that's all they want to do, right? Is privatize the VA. So yeah. he'll know how to do that. Yeah. So that's good. Uh that's a good point. Yeah, Labor Secretary Sarah Nelson as Labor Secretary would be fucking amazing. Uh I don't see that happening. Um You have a little thing for Sarah Nelson. Sarah, don't that's you? because Sarah Nelson rules. She's just like yeah. mad all the time at all the right people, and uh um and I hope she runs for president. Oh, and of course, energy secretary has to be a uh, a CEO of a energy company, of an oil company. Uh, uh, Ernst Moniz. Moniz? I don't know. Yeah, bunch of ghouls. Yeah. I mean, not, every, everything as expected. So um, Georgia's having a special election coming up. Do you know when that is? That's in January. January 5th, maybe. 
Mm. That's going to decide the Senate and probably be the most uh, consequential, uh, you know, state election for a long time. Because if, if uh, yeah, if the Democrats get a majority, they could hypothetically do stuff. Whether they will and what they would do uh, remains to be seen. But that's something that um, if they don't win both of these seats, um, they certainly won't be able to do anything. So I don't know. It'll give them a very good excuse for not having to do anything at the very least if they don't win the Senate. Yeah. Like, oh, no, Mitch McConnell won't let us. Uh, which is like, like I, I don't know why I haven't found this out earlier, but like all the shit about how like Mitch McConnell won't bring anything to the floor is like not the end of the of like the argument. Like it is possible to bring stuff to the floor of the Senate without Mitch McConnell. You can force a floor vote. Yeah. yeah. So you can do that all the time and they never fucking do. Yeah. It's just another Yeah, cuz decorum. Yeah, and it's also, just like all the other ways that I I don't even it's it's almost impossible to tell what is decorum and what is actual law with these fucks because like you we come to find out that just every day there's something new that Democrats don't do and you and like it it's you almost give them the benefit of the doubt that it's not uh that it's a law that prevents them from doing it, but it's not. It's just norms. It's just uh, uh, decorum and not wanting to rock the boat or uh, or some shit. It's it's, uh, it's so gross. It's it's so fucking gross. But and also at the same time, I think the power that uh, Mitch McConnell wields is not necessarily in his uh, ability to keep stuff from coming to a floor vote, but simply like his sort of um, incredible power over the Republican Party in the Senate and the ability to basically just get everyone to toe the line and uh, stop anything from happening that he doesn't want to happen. And for that reason, you know, he is a bit of like an Emperor Palpatine kind of uh, figure, like uh, inclusive and of that his, his face youth. looks like it was fucked up and electrocuted and stuff. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Eh? Eh? Prequel meme? And then we no? say no? I'm sorry, I have no, no idea No, I know the meme, this, I just can't remember how is. it goes. I have no idea what this is. It's Star Wars, babe. Okay. He's only fluent in Trek. Yeah. It's the only star language he knows. It is. Well, anyway, it's a Sith legend. Uh, some some may say that uh, the dark side can give you uh, unnaturally long life. <laughs> but, you know, going back to, like... Yes. So, you know, it's not just whether or not McConnell will bring things to the floor and not just whether or not Democrats will force a floor vote, but whether or not Republicans will, you know, the the extent to which McConnell is excellent at whipping them into line. But like, okay, fine. Make them vote. Make them vote on it. Make them mark their name in the in the book of, you know, right and wrong and then show the American people popular policies that you're forcing Republicans to say no to. That's a winning fucking strategy. I don't understand why the fact that something will be voted down is a reason to not even try. Like, imagine if we taught our kids that. Imagine if like that was the, you know, there's American exceptionalism, this ideology that we're all fucking drinking straight from the juice box does nothing but tell you that you should try the impossible. And yet, you know, the people who are ostensibly are our great leaders, you know, the, the the leading lights of contemporary American politics, like are just like, well, 
you know, we don't have the votes. So and, you know, maybe there's some good fucking reason for that, that I'm just too dull to like pick up on. But it really is is absolutely disgraceful how little the Democrats have tried to do in, you know, we've gotten twelve hundred dollars since fucking this started in March. Mm -hmm. That is that continues to absolutely flabbergast me. And who else are we supposed to blame? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I I like to see that hustle, you know, when I when I watch uh, my sports ball. Uh, and I got to say that uh, I'm not seeing the hustle uh, from the Democratic bench. I think that they are, uh, you know, they're they're not bringing their A game. They're phoning it in. Yeah, very low energy. We have we have something uh, coming in across the wire. And by the wire, I mean my mom texted me this. Uh, this is this is a uh, uh, this is from Newsweek that um, on parlay, a pro-Trump call for Georgia runoff boycott threatens Mitch McConnell's plan to restrain Biden. Okay. So, Wait, what? There are people on parlay saying to boycott the Georgia runoff election. Because by parlay, it, this is parlor. This is the the right wing yeah. bank uh, social yeah. media. Yeah. I refuse to accept the notion that it's pronounced parlay. <laughs> I just no. I reject that out of hand. Yeah. Um, so so this is like the the greatest self own. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. how is this? Is this a sigh? Is this like a disinformation campaign from leftists like you who have infiltrated the app? I fucking hope so. Like, um, uh, shout out to Mitt Mondale. Uh, in all caps, do not vote in the Georgia runoffs. The deep state will be collecting everyone's info. This is a charade meant to identify people who don't vote Democrat. Stay home. Ossoff and Warnock are a small price to pay. <laughs> all right. Hell yes, dude. All right. Man, welcome to the resistance, yeah. parlay <laughs> if, uh, uh Friends in Georgia, <laughs> if the voting machines are all rigged, how can you trust the runoff election? You can't. The only way to send a message to these sellouts is to boycott the vote. Make it hurt for them. <laughs> yes, boycott the vote, Republicans. Uh, boycott. Yeah, I would. That rules. I would very much like the Democrats to have a uh, majority such that um, we can push them left. Push them left. Let's do it. Let's figure out how to do it. I think we'll it do involves. It, folks. We know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, TikTok dances, flash mobs, maybe masked, masked up, socially distant <laughs> flash mobs. The, the machines add 3% of every red vote to the blue column. If less of us vote, there will be less votes separating the candidates. Don't vote in the runoff. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that would be so funny if that, yeah, if that, that happens. I, unfortunately, I don't think we live in that timeline, but holy shit, that's that's good. Uh, everything that I'm, I've been uh, reading are screenshots of tweets from uh, uh, screenshots of parlay posts on uh, Twitter from Marcus Barham. I don't know who that is in a Newsweek column. So, like, yeah, that's uh, what our uh, media looks like now is screenshots uh, posted to Twitter embedded into uh, media properties that used to be magazines that are now clickbait farms. But so, uh, yeah, but it's still true. You've gone, that, that guy tweeting is a is a investigative journalist for the you, Washington Post. You're doing a little bit of investigative journalism yourself, right? Like you've become uh, embedded uh, in in the parlay. I, so I, I basically squatted on my on my name on parlay. So I just like grabbed David A. Banks. So I don't, I don't want any motherfuckers uh, parlaying in my name. All right, 
that's <laughs> uh, that's all me. All right. Is it true but, that you had to put in your social security number? I've heard wild so the, rumors. So if you want to get verified, which, you know, this is, first of all, this is a great idea, right? You build a new social media platform yep. uh, where, where people, that people are get, going to specifically because they're leaving another one where verification is maligned by liberal, uh, cuck liberals, right? So you're like, no, okay. you can be verified too on our site, but... You gotta give us your social security number. <laughs> I mean, they do ask for, like, your driver's license. Like, you have to go scan your driver's license and a couple other things to, like, get on uh, Parlay's, like, verified stuff. So, yeah, I don't know if it... I, I didn't see social security number, but they do make you, like, send sensitive information to them. Wow. Which, like, they might as well just be like, send us nudes. Like, send us nudes. And you know, if you, if you fuck up, we're gonna we're gonna uh, release them. So uh, apparently, there's a um, uh, sock puppet account um, or whatever it's called, like a fake account uh, for Ben Shapiro called the Ben Shapiro Show on Parlay. And this came across my uh, Instagram uh, because that uh, show basically said the only way to defeat Antifa is real fascism. And I was like, wait, what? Is this real? <laughs> and I like did a little bit of research and it seems like it's not Ben Shapiro, but and it's causing a lot of confusion because a lot of uh, the right wing is like, yeah, exactly. We got to do that. <laughs> and then everyone else is like, no, no, Antifa <laughs> is the fascist. Like, they're, they're the real fascists. We have to, you know, like, what are you talking about, Ben? This is obviously a fake account. One one last thing about the Georgia Senate runoff is that uh, Kelly Loeffler, um, why do I know that noted name? QAnoner, uh, she's in the runoff and she is she's a QAnon person. Okay, and um, she just got uh, COVID nineteen. So, congrats, big congrats to Kelly. She was at a maskless event with Vice President Pence on Friday. Um. We also have uh, absolute beautiful son of Rudy Giuliani, Andrew, who also was recently diagnosed with COVID-19, who was at a huge The Maskless press conference at which Rudolph Giuliani uh, leaked oil from his head, which was a beautiful <laughs> sight to see. Oh, my God. So, like, these these people are just, like, giving, like, just passing this virus around like fucking chlamydia in an orgy. And it's, <laughs> like, I, I love it. I think it's perfect. I've seen, like, people, you know, uh, like, chuds posting, like, how come this disease is only affecting Republicans? Why aren't, shouldn't Democrats <laughs> be getting it, too? <sighs> Gee, I wonder why that could yeah, be. I mean, so strange. Tom Hanks votes Democrat, right? He was, like, the first celeb to, to get it, in my memory. That's right, true. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if he does or not. Probably. I mean, it is funny, but I, I, I can also very much imagine, uh, like, a raging conspiracy theory that that the democrats created the coronavirus to kill republicans and black people because those are the two people that are getting it uh oh. right it's like it's it's absolutely destroying uh black communities uh because for all the same reasons that uh they get um you know oppressed and hurt now right then no access to services uh, I I inadequate housing, inability, right, and like an in inability to, um, uh, you know, quarantine if they need to, or something like that. 
you know, a, a, yeah. and uh, um, and just general, like, wh- even if you do get healthcare, like, you, uh, doctors have been known to like not take pain as seriously from black patients, or um, yeah. or just like not attend to them nearly as often or as well, and um, uh, you know, so that's why I, uh, black people have been dying from it disproportionately. Uh, than also prisons and prisons yes right prisons and uh um uh, poultry factories like like um or just meat meat packing factories in general which I, I think has a lot to do with the numbers in the midwest is that uh it's not just like small rural white communities it's also like the prisons and meat packing uh, facilities that just like hundreds of people get get uh coronavirus in there and, cl- and then their bosses vote on it or uh, um bet on it we saw that did we talk about that wait what oh you're, we didn't even you're talk saying about bosses that. have yeah. been betting on the health or sickness of their own employees yeah uh, uh bosses yeah. At, a, at a tyson um i think pork processing facility in iowa uh were taking bets on how many of their uh employees would catch uh corona what the Fucking- fuck just horrifying shit yeah but but the the uh, just to finish the point i was making is that like you know you could imagine some sort of like really robust uh like hard to quash uh conspiracy theory that it's that the coronavirus is designed which we already see right that that's from the government we have already also seen that it's like hyped up by the democrats but it doesn't take long or, or very far for it to turn into created by the democrats to to like genocide republicans and black people like that yeah i'm surprised trump doesn't I'm sure do that, that every day yeah i'm sure that argument has been made on eight coon at some point on some board i understand how the venn diagrams of vulnerability to infection by covid um you know overlaps with uh black uh people in the united states um but why what is the argument for the conservatives other than the fact that they keep you know, going to political rallies in super spreader events. Like, is it, are they saying like openly, like they knew we wouldn't wear masks. They knew we were, we weren't going to fucking pay attention to the science. Like they knew that we were just going to like gather, you know, to show how uh, tough we are and basically spread it amongst ourselves. Like this is clearly a, a planned attack against conservatism. I mean, I don't think that there's anything even remotely as coherent of an argument as you just laid out, Chris, I think it's just, I think it's just a paranoia that it's, you know, I don't know. There's probably some crazy QAnon person out there who thinks that there's like George Soros is personally running around with a hypodermic needle, like stabbing Trump in the ass and then, you know, going after Giuliani's son. Like, I, I, I don't know. I've never seen like a, a proper argument articulated as to why that would be a conspiracy theory. Um, it, I just know that it's out there. So is there like new eugenics research going on where they're like, oh, we've actually discovered the conservative gene. And that is actually the gene that has the proteins <laughs> that make you vulnerable to the coronavirus. <laughs> uh, I, it's we also talk- the gene that makes you really smart and your dick big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was listening to uh, the podcast uh, Seriously Wrong. I was talking about it a bit on the uh, the live, live stream. It's a really good podcast. Everybody uh, should check it out. Um, but uh, they had a, a bit about how eugenics can't work because the first people you'd have to uh, sterilize and get out of the gene pool are the eugenicists. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the live stream, we had a really good time doing that Friday. Um, and thanks to everybody who showed up. And if that's the kind of content you would be interested in seeing more of, please let us know. Reach out through our email, 
ironweedspot at gmail.com. DM us, DM us on Twitter. Um, it was really fun. I don't know. Did you guys have a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. I had time. a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, uh, you know, hanging out Saturday night, talking shit. Absolute vibing. Yeah. Yeah. We're best Friday friends. Night. Oh, Friday night. Yeah. Friday night. My yeah. bad. It Everything's was, it was almost together. Saturday night. We went to like 1130. We did. We, we did it pretty late. Yeah. yeah. And we're old now. So yeah. that was, yeah, we are. How, how yeah. old are you? Especially now? David, he's one foot in the grave. Yeah, I'm 34 now. 34. Ah, you're one year my senior. I am 33 yeah. now. How about you, Brittany? Or is it? I am, but a mere 32 until February, and then I will be 33. Yeah, it's deeply inappropriate for you to ask me a woman or woman as many would have me shift to saying it. Well, um, I appreciate your, your so honesty, and I apologize for my uh, <laughs> no growth. You fucking misogynist. <laughs> just so we don't skip over it too blithely, I, I, I just, I have to emphasize the fact that Tyson Foods managers in Waterloo bet on how many of their employees would contract the coronavirus. I'm sorry, but like, this is at a plant where e- between 1,000 and 2,800 workers tested positive for the virus in early May. There was a cash buy-in winner-take-all betting pool on how many of their employees would contract coronavirus. Like, like holy And I don't shit. have anything... I don't have anything analytic to say about it. I don't have any kind of like great insights into it. I just think it's absolutely horrific. And we like people should sit on that for a moment and think about that. You know, I'm like, I'm not for the state having the power of corporal punishment in general, but I feel like there needs to be something done to like up the ante such that the monsters that run our society have to check themselves even a little bit. This is totally fucked up and ridiculous. Like, how much money did they make in their bets against the health of their own employees whose health was in their control? Like, there has to be some, like, you know, pound of flesh surgically removed from these people proportionate to the amount of money that they've been making off of making their employees sick and then betting how accurately they were going to make their employees sick. According to the Iowa Department of Public Health, Tyson announced on Monday that its fiscal year 2020 net income increased 5% to $2.15 billion. Jesus fucking Christ. And, and, and yeah. just like every single time that you hear, well, you know, the compromise position isn't Medicare for, you know, we have to compromise. Medicare for all can't happen. So we need to just like beef up employer-based health care, and maybe there's a public option or something. Like, do you see, like, putting your access to health care in the hands of your boss, like, how disturbing and gross that is, that this person, like, the person that could be betting on your death also controls, like, every life-sustaining, like, institution you rely on? Like, that's fucking dark, man. Like, that's disgusting. Yes. It absolutely is. And, you know, how we have record numbers of unemployment uh, this year due to the coronavirus. And 
uh, you know, good thing that uh, Joe Biden, you know, the victory of the Democratic primary promised to not do away with the private um, health insurance system tied to people's employment. Yay. Yay. This is great. What a great yeah. outcome. I can't, you know, it's like, and you it's know, like a, for all of this, like hand wringing over these, you know, hard won union, fabulous insurance plans that union members don't want to lose and you know biden's really like kind of started branding himself as like the pro-union guy which fine great like yeah be pro-union but unions themselves countless unions have said that they would love to be able to take their health insurance plans off the bargaining table that they would be able to accomplish so much more in disputes with employers if they didn't have to worry about constantly advocating for better health care programs like imagine you know it's like it's like fighting with one hand tied behind your back when that's all when that's something that is perpetually on the table is your health care provider and your benefits it's just it's such a bad faith argument that, yeah. you know, these these hardworking union members are the reason that it would be. Un- it's the same argument as like, well, we can't cancel student loans. What about all the people who paid their loans? Yeah. Um, yes. Speaking of which, uh, newsworthy, uh, you know, Biden's proposing to uh, repay how much or forgive how much student loans? Ten thousand dollars, I think. Chuck Schumer proposed fifty thousand, I want to say. Um, but there's a bunch of means testing to it. It's, you know, people who already have hardships, people who have private student loans, which I think it's some outrageous number, like 80 or 90 percent of all student loan debt is held by the is is public debt. It's held by the government. So, I mean, you could wipe out all of that debt overnight if you're president. Like, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's. It's a fucking joke. The, the, those, I believe, are the numbers I last heard was Biden floated 10 percent and Schumer proposed uh, or Biden floated 10,000 and, and Schumer proposed 50,000. And I heard that it had a difference whether or not you were uh, working within the private sector versus working within the public sector. Like if you were a public sector employee, they wouldn't forgive it as easily because there's apparently some other government benefit that's already coming to you by having a public sector job. Yeah, Biden said there was already a plan for debt relief for public servants, but that it had been poorly uh, implemented or actualized. And that was how he was going to go about solving that problem was, you know, beefing up these programs that already exist to help public sector employees with their loans. But like, guess what's easier than that? Guess what? You don't have to hire a massive team of means testers to do. Cancel the fucking debt. Like yeah. it's a it's a lot more streamlined of an approach. Cancel the fucking debt. Um, you know, I I cracked this joke on Twitter, and it's really not even a joke. It's just like a it's you know comes off as flippant, but I mean it sincerely. Like we're due for a jubilee. We're due for a debt jubilee. There's a reason it's in the fucking Old Testament that every seven years we have a ju- or every fifty years rather we have a jubilee, because that's how rulers kept their heads. Was that every once in a while, they would free all the slaves, they would cancel all the mortgages, they would, you know, outlaw usury for a year-long period. And, and it's just, the, you know, the fact that our leaders are so unwilling to do something as basic as cancel student debt is just more evidence for why we should uh, parody satire all of them. And, and, you know, it's like, even if you, you're not bought by the obviously uh, well-laid-out um, like efficiency argument that it's just easier to cancel everything instead of means testing it. It's it's more it's cheaper 
and easier to do. Uh, like, even if that doesn't get you, right? Just think about, like, you, like, I understand, like, well, we want to incentivize public service. So let's cancel debt for people that are doing things that we want them to do, right? Mm-hmm. There's an incentive scheme there. And, and like, yeah, that, I, you know, that, that sounds all right at first. But then you think of a couple things. One, um, is the government hiring, right? <laughs> and we, we, and austerity on all sides means uh, frequently less and less, right? And that all these organizations that you want to incentivize people to go into, right, like aren't hiring enough and aren't doing the kind of work that, frankly, you know, we could really use them to do. Even if you go into like the nonprofit sector, right? You, there's all the arguments against the the you know the uh, the um professionalization of activism right like that sucks but then but maybe that wouldn't convince someone to the right of you and what would is the fact that uh like is is that really the only people that can get uh get debt uh relieved are the people that are willing to then go work into these broken systems in the first place or do we want people to strike out on their own and like decide what they want to do with their lives Right. Like it yeah. is, is, you know, like take this yoke off them and let them start a business or, you know, uh, be an artist or like just like fucking stop thinking about the the, you know, the mortgage worth of, of debt hanging around their head. And like and do you really want to empower uh, comp- like like these organizations that have that can um, by law are the only ones that can effectively give people 10, 20, 30 thousand dollars you know just like that right mm-hmm. like or yeah. and, and like from the other side of it you know from a, a left perspective again right like do you um want like all the harvard and yale graduates <laughs> you know um uh going uh just only to high price law firms to pay off their debt or right. do you want those to be free also and so that your shitty little uh, you know, social me- media collective, right? You know, um, can have a Harvard graduate in it, right? Like you want yeah. the best talent. Or public defenders or, right. yeah. Yeah, like don't yeah. you want all talent, right, to go to as many good things as possible? Like why do you want to like siphon off some of the best talent to go work for the State Department or, or you know, a white shoe law firm that can pay pay off debts or a government that can relieve them? Or do you just want, like, talented people to go follow their fucking dreams? You know, like, come on. It shouldn't really white be that White shoes hard. are horrible. Yeah. Nobody should be wearing white <laughs> shoes. Unless they're tennis <laughs> shoes. That's okay. But or otherwise, they're before Labor think... Day. Yeah, yeah, or white... ballet flats, flip-flops. Yeah. That's all fine. But yeah. if you're wearing, like, a wing-tipped white shoe, I'm going to have to cancel you on that <laughs> yeah and you know the democrats could so easily make a pro market argument for canceling this debt like mm-hmm. it would be great for the economy people would be spending they would be saving they wouldn't be investing they would be starting businesses they would be buying homes they would be having children like there are so many benefits to canceling this absolutely massive uh, burden that people are bearing every single day. And 
they they just seem incapable of even using what little they have to you know the democrats have a lot to their advantage vis-a-vis like goodwill versus the left wing of the party progressives or progressives or anybody left of them which is that like they can still make neoliberal arguments without being hypocrites and they won't even make those very basic like pro free market arguments to advocate for common sense reforms that would give even the slightest relief to working people it's it's really um something to behold just yeah. how much they are invested in changing nothing and you know this goes with my general like uh, deepest held uh, conspiracy theory which is conspiracy of the capitalist class to look out for its collective capitalist class interests um and this plays out in a number of what would seem to be paradoxes. So the idea of canceling student debt seems seemingly a no-brainer. Um, first off, like if you wanted to look at how whether or not the debt is going to be paid back, uh, it's not worth much. It's worth pennies on the dollar on the resale market. Collectors don't want it. They don't want to purchase it and try and uh, get it to be paid back because it has such a low return rate. And the other aspect of it is that uh, it would you know, necessitate a conversation about free college, right? So if they go ahead and they do a one-time debt cancellation of everybody that, you know, went to public university and somehow got like $40,000 in debt, then, you know, the question will be the next year, it's like, well, am I going to go to public university for $40,000? Like, I mean, what what are the chances that they're going to have another debt jubilee? Like, that one seemed unlikely when it happened, you know? Like, uh, why, why should I pay when the homie that just graduated two years ago now has no debt, but I'm about to take on 40,000. Um, and you think that it would help in all the ways that you're talking about, but then you have to think about everybody who's getting super rich off of people, uh, paying, you know, uh, exorbitant prices for public university. And, you know, that's everybody from the contractors and developers that build, you know, these Olympic sized swimming pools and, you know, glorious fountains and like, as we had pointed out with the uh, conversation with uh, Rob and Brett from Dumb and Awful, like, you know, they, the the rankings for some of these schools go up if they just like burn money in a pile in the campus square. And so you yeah. have all these people who are making lots of money and they have influence. They have influence with politics, especially on like the federal and national, uh, you know, level. Um, and, you know, I think about it in relation to the uh, conversation we were just having about uh, a, you know, Medicare for all or a, a public health care system uh, and how much that, you know, the argument is always made that uh, the biggest employer in America, Walmart, uh, would save tons of money if there was a public health care so that they didn't need to supply yeah. benefits for, you know, their, um, you know, entire, like a large percentage of their workforce. Um and while that is totally true, uh, they are in league with other capitalists, right? And they <laughs> like the yeah. idea that you need to secure yourself a full-time job uh, to be able to not die from treatable diseases. And that creates well, a... Well, Walmart already, Walmart already skirts around that problem very easily by just, like, paying people so little that they qualify for welfare benefits and yes. giving them so few hours that they don't ever have to give them any benefits whatsoever 
And, you know, another thing, especially with regards to these employers like Walmart, but also the gig economy, like the uh, and I'll go even like deeper into the conspiracy than you, Chris, and become much more nefarious is that like debt is what you need to have a permanent, often generational underclass that can be exploited, you know, for for massive profit gains without debt. You're you reducing people's debt literally takes the boot off their necks. And that is not something that you want when you have an economy that survives on this massive proletariat, like proletariat in the most basic sense of the term, people who need their physical bodies to, you know, generate wealth accumulation for the capitalist class. Like you, you have to have debt to do that. And it's really quite something to see all of these worrywart pundits talking about how millennials aren't saving for retirement or having kids or buying houses or blah, 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 any of these other things, while they will also argue that you can't possibly get rid of student debt because either it's not fair or it's not phys- fiscally doable or whatever other reason. And like those 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 contradictions, those paradoxes, like don't even register for most people because we don't we do such a terrible job at get digging at the real reasons that our our generation and and you know people younger than us and people slightly older than us are living such you know such aberrations of of life trajectories like we just we're in we're completely different because we are saddled with debt by the time we're seventeen. Like it's literally we allow people who like aren't even allowed to have sex with 20 year olds take on student loans, take on tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. And and when they like you can't even vote and you can get a fucking loan for sixty thousand dollars. A loan to go do something uh, to go get a job that either won't exist by the time you get that degree or that you just don't even know anything about that job, actually. Right. Because you like you're just like, oh, I want to be an engineer. And you and it's because you went in high school, you got to play with Legos a lot. And then like you actually get into engineering and you're like, oh, actually, this sucks and is nothing (laughs) is not even close to the imaginative and like creative force that I thought it would be. Instead, I'm like being like slowly ground down into some sort of worker drone that will just like design culverts for the rest of my life and then like well and 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 and, yeah and and then like and then you have a bunch of debt that you need to pay off and you have to go to the like the highest paying firm not because you are driven by money necessarily but because like you will be immiserated if you don't and so you never actually get to you know culver's was actually a bad example because that's like a nice thing that you can do as a civil engineer for your community but instead you have to like go work for fucking like uh boeing making missiles yeah or, or, they're or f- the only ones that will actually pay off your your loans yeah or facebook and socially engineer way, p- ways to get people to fight more online <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like we also just like the media is so saturated with jobs that you can't get. Like you watch HD HGTV on during the summers when you're in high school and then you say, I want to be an interior designer and I'm going to go to school for interior design. We had when I was in high school, we had this one of my classes um, had this big research project where you were supposed to like research a possible career you liked and then what school you wanted to go to for it and then like how much you would pay in tuition and like all of this stuff it was this huge semester long research project and my research project was that I was going to become an interior designer I was going to go to NYU 
was going to live in the city. I think it, the tuition at the time was something like $21,000 a year. And like, how fucking absurd of a mo- And my teacher gave me an A on that project. She should have been like, you dumb bitch. You can't do any of that. Like, you're never going to be able to afford that. Like, do you know how many interior designers there are in the country? Like, you know, it's it, we, we like set young people up to have all of these unrealistic notions of what's possible in the current economy. Nobody's getting a degree in fucking Uber driving. Like, even though that is what so many of those people are, is going to be their only employment option after this. My uh, stepbrother, uh, when, um, before he went to college, like, just loved CSI. And I, I, I tried to tell him, like, that's not what, like, working for a police department is like. And that's not what, like, investigating crimes is like. Uh, or for you know, like forensic science is nothing like any of that. And he and he went into a bunch of debt at uh, University of Central Florida to to do the CSI thing, which isn't real. Like it's just completely unreal. Wait, are you saying that I can't just say enhance over and over again <laughs> until the pe- the feet picks become yeah. more more uh, more legible? Yeah, you can like go like notice something in the reflection of their cornea or whatever. Yeah, you know, and, and and yeah, it's just all um and of course these universities know that that's going to happen and they beef up these enormous programs happy to take people's money and then like they they'll like change the requirements halfway through and then you have to like take a fifth year in college because they changed the requirements halfway through. It's it's so it's such a scam. It's such a fucking scam. Yeah. And the yeah. the idea that like we would even question the need to like just do just have a big fucking do over button. Forget like f- levels of fairness. Just like we fucked up for like a decade. Like uh, a lot of higher education just outgrew itself way too fast. We did a bunch of dumb dumb things. Let's just start over. Yeah, you know, just like just yeah, to, I'm so uh, down for that. <laughs> yeah, but of course, acknowledging that means of uh, you know, like fundamentally undermining uh, the trust in institutions that are already like just like ba- only barely getting by. So you know, well, that's you know. Uh, another you know, throw that on the pile of reasons why that it won't happen. Yeah, I, I, and also I really the military, like, you know, yeah, military recruitment. Yeah, true. Um, but I was talking with somebody the other day, um, and they were talking about their life trajectory and. You know how they got on the path that they're on and they're trying to make it in the um art world like the theater world uh in a time of you know a pandemic and trying to figure out you know what they want to do and how they want to do it and it sort of brought me back to a conversation that we had a couple months back where we were sort of like utopian visioning um this concept of like a socialist uh, economy like sector or whatever that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be like a wage-based system, but one in which you would, you know, sign up and you'd get a job. It'd be like 20 hours a week and you do your job and then you'd have housing and health care and child care and food and, you know, climate control and, uh, you know, access to the Internet and like, you know, basically some democratically agreed on like base level of like needs fulfillment. And the job that you'd be doing for 20 hours a week would be fulfilling those needs in some organized way, whether that's, you know, running a project or uh, being an engineer or digging ditches or building buildings or welding or whatever. Uh, Something practical in the, you know, needs fulfillment sector that would be wageless. That would just be like, you know, 20 hour a week job and then do whatever you want with the rest of your time. And that idea of like 
having everybody who benefits from like a socialist type of economy having to be in some way part of the fulfillment of all those needs in like a very practical manner uh, is very appealing to me. And then having like the free time outside of that 20 hours a week to do whatever you want, you know, be a mother, be a father, uh, sports athlete, you know, uh, artist, performing artist, whatever you want. And you don't need to worry about figuring out how to do what you want in a way that it pays you enough money to like then fulfill all your needs within a market, but just, you know, get a job that isn't taking up the vast majority of your time that takes care of your needs along with everyone else's is very appealing and seems to be something that we could get towards in a rethinking of our education system. So like if I was talking to a young person today, I'd really, you know, give them the advice to seriously consider getting into the trades because like as much as we talk about automation and, you know, factory jobs going away, et cetera, as far as like being a factory technician, like, you know, being on an assembly line, like, yeah, that's becoming a robot, but installing the robot, fixing the robot, uh, you know, getting all of those things going are jobs that are like very unlikely to be automated away. Like a industrial or uh, electrician or a welder or a plumber or a pipe fitter or, you know, somebody who does concrete or insulation or roofs or solar or like anything that like is in the practical building and maintenance of our highly technological like manufacturing sector and everything else. Like those jobs are just going to keep existing. And actually there's like a real uh, need in the market for pe more people with those skills. But that isn't something that like we try to inculcate into our children as like the way to, you know, help your society. It's like, no, like go get a humanities degree, like, you know, read the classics, like aspire to be the president of the United States. And if you, you know, shoot for the moon, you'll land amongst the stars. And like, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about the trades and how. Uh, well, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I. I take issue with the idea that we encourage students to study the humanities because like our humanities education system is very, if anything, it's, it's anemic. It's not, mm -hmm. um, I think most students going to most universities, they might take like a literature one oh one course, but like, especially, you know, with my experience, David's experience at RPI teaching in the humanities and social sciences, like it's not, at all prestigious to study humanities or even like the, you know, harder soft sciences like sociology and history and such. Um, I think if anything, the biggest barrier to what you just described, Chris, is the fact that like you can't get those jobs for 20 hours a week right now. You can get those jobs for 50 hours a week. Yeah. And they're true. incredibly taxing on your body, on yep. your, you know, physical and mental health. And, you know, I, if it, when I when I was in grad school, you know, I, I for a few years, I just did work for the university. I worked for the writing center. I tutored students in composition and essay writing and, you know, getting into grad school, getting, you know, getting job interviews, that kind of thing. I just basically t tutored, you know, communication skills. And then I taught classes for a semester and I loved it, but I really missed having some kind of physically engaging activity. And so that's why mm. I went back to 
bartending part-time because I mm-hmm. just wanted something that would get me out from in front of a screen that would have me like, inter- you know, interfacing with people in kind of a more casual setting and doing something physical. And I think that like that's the biggest barrier is that we all get funneled into one or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all sort of at some point in your life trajectory make a choice to live a life of the mind or a life of the body. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. to me is the biggest hurdle facing us in terms of reinventing a new, more socialist, more you know egalitarian society is that most people are not happy doing one or the other. Yep. Like most people would prefer to have a better mix in their life. Ever since I shifted away, ever since my, you know, various injuries and shifting away from like physical labor to sitting behind a desk all day, every day for my whole fucking life, like it's been very challenging for me to accept that because I'm so mm-hmm. used to working, you know, my body being the mechanism by which I, I you know, make a living. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the the route to take. It's not to tell every young person, you know, don't study the humanities, become a plumber. What we really need is like a more what liberal arts education was intended to be in the first place, which was more holistic to make a more well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I favor teaching more philosophy, more rhetoric, more communication, more literature uh, to everyone and not just to the, you know, like sparkling eyed kind of naive young person who doesn't realize that they'll never make a living with a history degree. Well, I, I very much appreciate that perspective. And I think that I guess I was over uh, playing the aspect of which I would say, you know, pay attention to the trades at the expense of, you know, humanities education or whatever. I guess all I'm saying is that we don't seem to value uh, practical skills in terms of like our narrative of higher education, you know, like, in the sense of um, things that we are going to perpetually need as a society, like we almost like still seem to like from the college educated perspective, almost like look down on jobs. And I think that you you were talking about um, the balance being really uh, key. And that's one of the things I really took away from uh, Conquest of Bread is like the idea that we could yeah. collaborate in a rotating basis such that all uh work that we do in the productive economy is like joyful and not soul sucking or body destroying and that like for you know the peasant farmer it's sort of a bleak existence just having to grind out a uh, a livelihood by you know working land and destroying your body like every day in and day out and just working super 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 hard for like almost no money at all and like just trying to survive and that if people were you know spending some percentage of their weeks every year in the fields they'd be like oh this is fucking sweet <laughs> like i really like you know uh working a thresher yeah i, I want to give you another gentle pushback to the idea that there is some kind of practical versus impractical knowledge to be gained from either technical fields or humanities fields like humanities skills are practical they're mm-hmm. incredibly practical because we are all going to have to communicate with each other for the rest of our fucking lives. Like, Indeed. The, for me, one of the biggest struggles that I had working with STEM students, engineer scientists, was that they didn't know how to, to do basic things like collaborate with each other on a group project. They didn't know how to go to an interview and like sell themselves to a potential hirer. They didn't know how to do basic conflict resolution. 
um, because they were never taught those skills because they were never considered practical skills. And they Mm. are practical. Analytic thinking is very practical. Dialectical thinking is very practical. Writing is very practical. We live in a highly communicative society. We don't have peasants living on the outskirts of, you know, uh, uh, small hamlets who, you know, devote their entire lives to so to reaping and sowing like we live in a complex densely populated world and you know the skills that you learn from the humanities are absolutely critical to even what we might consider the more practical sides of life um Hmm. you know you can't be a good manual laborer even if that is like your your greatest aspiration is to just use your physical body to make your living for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to flourish in that unless you have interpersonal communication skills Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. those are things that aren't taught in, you know, your pipe fitting class. So I think we have to reimagine what we think of as practical education, as um, fulfilling jobs. Like all of these things are going to require a kind of great reset in our conceptions of like what it means to be a successful, productive human being. Yeah. If if I was like the czar of education, you know, where, you know, you could like change anything and everything about it. It would be, uh, you know, one uh compulsory through your 20s or something just like don't like just stay out of the labor market for as long as possible not because you don't want other people to be provided for but because you want to uh be able to control how you know that like how much labor is out there on the market and mm-hmm. then pay all students to uh be students for you know like for as long as they are students right you just like you should get a paycheck for for being a student and then like i i really like the idea of um uh like yeah have like collapsing the difference between trade schools and community colleges and universities because Mm -hmm. i think so many of my students that are doing stuff like, uh, you know, getting a degree in GIS, you know, geographic information systems, or they're going to be a, a planner, they're going to be, um, uh, you know, like someone that, that does a lot of stuff with like logistics or working for a develop developer, like they all need, they, they could use a class in welding yeah. or, uh, or, yeah. you know, or build or, you know, framing out a, a house or hanging drywall or something like those are things that I think like them knowing that intimately, at least one of those things could make them a be- do make them, you know, like a better developer or, or, uh, uh, well, I don't want them to be a better developer, right? But, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you want them, you want them to do like these, these, these jobs that are more administrative, you know, like you want them to have some sort of intimate understanding of, of what they will be administering. Yeah. And you, and I think at the very least, you'd also want to maybe rotate administering, right? Yeah. Because like that job sucks. Like admi- yeah. administration yeah. fucking sucks. And so like what you, I, I would, yeah, really like, you know, like the, what Kropotkin says it, but also Marx, right? You know, like the, this, uh, uh, um, fishing by day and, you know, reading poetry by night shit, you know, like everyone should yeah. at least have the opportunity yeah. to, to do that. And the fact that we get people to like, uh, specialize when they're in like middle school to like decide what they're going to do for the rest of their fucking yeah. life. He's I like, mean, well, if, you know, if you don't, yeah, you know, like that, like, yeah. like, like that works sometimes. Sometimes yeah. that really well, works, but a lot of people it doesn't. I think I'm about to discriminate against you, David, because you're my husband, I think is the reason. But while I cool. gave Chris gentle pushback, I'm going to vehemently disagree with you. On the notion that people shouldn't enter the workplace until they're in their 20s. Like, I think that 
if anything, I, yeah, like, I, I'm I, my first job, I got my first job at 15. And I saw this tweet the other day that was like, uh, imagine right now you're going back to yourself at 16 years old. It was like a Friday night. It's like, it's Friday night uh, when you're 16. What were you doing? And everybody was like, I was smoking a blunt with my friends. And like, that was true for me too. But I was also like working. And mm-hmm. I don't want to like romanticize it too much that we put young people into the workplace. But I have to say, like, I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to work throughout my teens and 20s. And, Me you know, too. Uh, my, my whole life I've worked. I worked since I got my learner's permit. That was when I started working. And, you know, many, many young people in this country work far too much. They're working to provide for their family. I was working to pay for gas in my Honda Civic. So, you know, it wasn't as like uh, dire as it is for many other people. Like there are jobs that you can do when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 that aren't determining the rest of your life. I yeah. was a busboy and a hostess and a waitress and a, a book clerk and I, you know, and uh, uh, did a lot of manual labor as well. And those things are incredibly formative, working on a team, working with other people, feeling good about accomplishing certain things, getting the satisfaction of like, you know, the uh, whatever meager paycheck you're getting. Like, those are all very radicalizing experiences i think working for a boss when you're 16 and defiant (laughs) and hate authority and have to see all the shitty things that your bosses do like that brought me to politics yeah um but i I, I completely agree the i think the way to deal with it is to make all of that much much lower stakes I agree. You know, the fact that we have, again, this permanent underclass that by the time you're 20, whatever you're doing is what you'll do for the rest of your life. That, to me, is the problem. I'm totally with you. And I also wanted to thank you for the gentle pushback. Um, You know, I think that uh, my language is definitely lacking for good enough terms. Well, you got gentle pushback. David got violent (laughs) vehement disagreement with. Uh, Again, I'm pretty sure because he's my husband and I'm sitting naked. So pretty sure that's why. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so the, the, the thing about, um, I guess a practical is uh, that I used, um, is, uh, I'm glad you pushed back on that because I completely agree with you. Um, and I think I'm just lacking the right vernacular or the words or, you know, um, uh, vocabulary to fully describe what I'm, I guess I'm talking about. I think that like the issue I have with our collegiate system as it exists, our university system in higher education is that it all seems to be like pushing toward this generalized consensus as to the good life being an office job and that like you know as you pointed out like sitting behind a desk uh for the rest of your adult life um during the the best hours of it uh indefinitely is uh not that great after after all you know there's it it leaves a lot to be desired and i think that the idea of um working in the productive economy that fulfills all of our lives is something that I think uh, we should be uh, doing, and I think 16, 17 is right around the age that I'd recommend people do it. You know, I remember working for Target, and that was a radicalizing experience. <laughs> I remember uh, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't touch any drugs at all until I was like 18 or so, uh, and I remember having to piss test, drug test at 16 to get a job working at a, as a cashier uh, for, you know, minimum wage. And that, uh, you know, having to do that for, you know, like 40 hours uh, a week uh, in, you know, a, a summer when I'm 16 and just having to deal with how hard it was to get along with my boss, and, like all these things. I was like, fuck, <laughs> like I get I get why 
I, I don't necessarily want to have this uh, be my only option for the rest of my life, you know? Like, I want to be If able only to... there were some way I could get together with my fellow workers and do something <laughs> yeah. about this terrible boss. <laughs> yeah, but, but I guess uh, one of the limitations, I think, of, like, unionism uh, as, like, the only method of, like, you know, class uh, mobilization in, for change in our society is that, like, we're siloed into our, you know, individual either trade union, like the trade, uh, or a, um, you know, an employer, like, and working with our, our fellow workers to try to, to bring about changes within that, that narrow, you know, um, uh, space of like what happens at this job, like with this corporation or whatever. Um, and the idea of trying to figure out how we would, as a society, figure out how to more evenly spread the both mentally uh, difficult and taxing work uh, and challenging and rewarding work and the physical and the, you know, when I say practical, I guess I mean like maybe fungible is the right word, like physically there, <laughs> like, you know, like tangible, yeah, tangible, like, you know, working with your hands or, you know, um, on like literal stuff, like working real material, whether it be gardening, farming, but what, what would it take to try and build an economy where we had some variety and cooperation and ability to like mass organize, you know, uh, like, I, I guess it would be like a work party economy, <laughs> you know, where you have like work, work parties for everything and you're just like constantly yeah, on a rotating I mean, it depends basis. on your tendency. Like mm. a socialist would tell you the way to get to that is through a robust centralized safety net where your health insurance isn't tied to working a 40 hour a week job um an anarchist would tell you that the way to do that is to abolish the state and you know ensure that we all work together egalitarianly for uh so you know i mean i think there's a lot of the 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 answer to that question is essentially determines where you fall on the left i would say mm. So clearly, I, I you know I'm the only person against child labor on this podcast, <laughs> and you know I I think the damn you know, right what, uh, <laughs> you know what uh, what I was getting at because I, I I when you as you're describing all of those benefits of of work at early age you know like yeah I I I I I agree with that too and I I definitely learned a lot about what I wanted to do with my life uh, from my first jobs but. I would also say that um, there may be other ways to learn those things that um, don't involve, like, uh, the abuse of wage slavery. Uh, and, like, I don't know, I, I like the idea of learning those things, like, in service to the institution that you're, work that you're learning in, also. Mm. And, like, yeah. we could yeah. recreate uh, those experiences in things that also are uh like support the learning also or that you can work through in a holistic way like you're learning on the job a skill that also gives you a full wage instead of uh learning um on the fly for one particular job and then that doesn't transfer to another job or you have to get credentialized by learning and then go get a job but you're not getting paid while you're getting credentialized like these all seem like uh, these are problems designed to manage who gets into the labor pool when and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and why and like yeah um, and, and who can afford to get into specific jobs that then pay you more. And mm -hmm, so if you mm -hmm. can uh, even I, I feel like the only way to even that out 
is to pay everyone to learn and to keep everyone from getting into the higher paid jobs uh, just universally. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. and then they then they can get into the the market of for selling their labor once they've all gotten a fair shot at um like filling up all of those different uh, like talent trees. You know, now you're yeah. now we're now we're all level sixty, and now we can all go you know, like slay some fucking dragons. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. For, yeah, I think you might you, you might be revealing some like deep seated neoliberal ide- ideological conditioning that I that I suffer from. Um, that's, yeah, fuck that's yeah, I win. Your, I win the you, argument. You, 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 you win. You win. Yeah, and same with two against one. For me. And I won. You know, like uh, poetry yeah. was my dump stat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I just remember the time that I spent when I was in high school and college, like working in especially the restaurant industry and like how much fun it was and how much of a puzzle it was, how it was both like mentally and physically engaging, how I was constantly, you know, I always compared like working in a restaurant to just doing puzzles all day long because you're constantly like trying to uh, maximize your efficiency and like remember lots of things, keep all sorts of things in your head, get good at communicating with people and working on a team and like. Um, I always thought that like I wished I kind of got in trouble for making this point on Twitter this last week, which I won't go into the details about. But like I always wish that everybody had to spend at least some period of time in their formative years, like working in that kind of environment. Um, And I I think that it's generally good for young people to look. I fucking hate group projects. I've always hated them. I hated them from the time I was in fucking elementary school. Like, just let me do it. I can do it better than anybody else if you just leave me alone and let me do it. But I'm very grateful for the um, the ways that I was forced into being collaborative and being um, engaged on a lot of different. You know, it's good for like just your brain to have to do all kinds of different work all the time. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe the way to do that is a more of like a national program of service, um, something that doesn't necessarily force you to sell your labor in a market, but rather just sort of gives you benefits for engaging that kind of work. Um, so it's all a lot of very complicated questions that we're going to have to reckon with soon, I think, because like mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have to reckon with everything soon because the system is so unsustainable, <laughs> unsustainable. <Yeah>. but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess the only the only thing I, I would add to that is that, like, you know, as working at a university, um, it it drives me nuts that they're like, like the university itself will have some sort of problem that it needs to face, whether that's coronavirus or like uh, a, a even just like a, a a challenge, not a not like a crisis, but like a challenge. Like we need to reorganize parking. Because we have a temporary trailer that we need to set up in place so there used to be a parking spaces. And so we got to move everything around. And instead of, like, using the talent of all of these, like, incredibly smart, free-thinking people, and I, there I include the students as well, right? Like, w- instead they'll go, like, uh, uh, um, get a consultant to do that and, yeah. and then come back. And it's like, why... Why do we, like, take uh, all of these smart people and, like, only use them in this very particular way and not, like, use a university – and not, like, a university is just, like, this problem-solving machine? And and, well, and it just drives me nuts that, like, that's – Yeah, I mean, I, I remember one thing from my time at RPI that hit me, like, a ton of bricks, and I saw this happening when colleagues, fellow students were applying for jobs, which is that universities do not feel – 
that the people that they educate are good enough to do the jobs that the university needs. So you go oh, to shit. a particular university that's a tier whatever, a tier two university. Um, you are not going to get hired by a tier two university, whether it's the one that you went to or some other one that's comparable. You're going to get hired by a tier three university um, because like you – it's it's very – twisted and almost like diseased that the institutions that train you to do you know what is ostensibly going to be the work you do for the very for the rest of your entire life um you have to go to some place to a lesser institution to do that lesser you know big scare quotes around that but like yeah i mean that's deeply ingrained in not only a university setting, I think, but in, you know, in all, all kinds of different sort of uh, marketplaces of employment, which is that like, yeah, we trained you to do it, but you're not really we up know to exactly, for us. Like, you, yeah, we know exactly how bullshit our training is. So, no thank <laughs> yeah, you. right, right. <laughs> yeah. In industry, they call that eating your own dog food. And that's like, yeah, dog uh, food. Yeah. Like if if you make, say, a water purifier, you know. Uh, and somebody comes to the uh, company and sees you not using your own product in your own break room. People are like, "Hmm, hmm, about that. Wonder, wonder why yeah. they're not. I mean, hypothetically, they they know that it works really well and how to get it to install. So, hmm, you know. And uh, I think that this is why exactly I don't right. listen to my own podcasts. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm too good for them. <laughs> So what are you guys, what lengths are you guys willing to go to to protect your Thanksgiving turkey? Uh, I will uh, keep it keep it safe from the Bumpus's dogs. That's a, that's a Christmas turkey. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. Yeah, it's uh, Christmas. Sorry, that's Christmas. Well, I have two Jews have a hard time keeping them all straight. <laughs> <laughs> I have two high-powered rifles, uh, and, you know, I've got thousands of rounds of ammunition. So I'm with Ted Cruz, and I am d- telling the government that, you know, you can pry this uh, turkey leg from my cold, dead hands and go ahead and come and take it. So we are um, referring to a tweet that Ted Cruz posted. Okay, so this was 14 hours ago as... Uh, as we record, it's now two o'clock. So that means that Ted po- Ted Cruz posted this at like midnight on a like Saturday at midnight, right? Am I getting the math <laughs> right? Having a normal one. Uh, and it's a picture of a turkey with a star above it, and it says "Come and take it." Uh, this is beautiful. This is art. This is like I fucking love this. You know, this whole, like, discourse TM around whether or not you can go to Thanksgiving. We talked a little bit about it when we live streamed on Friday. But, like, you know, Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. It's I've always loved it. You get to get together with the people you love most in the world. I also don't do family Thanksgiving. We do Friendsgiving every year. We have since I moved to New York. So, like, maybe I'm maybe I'm biased because I don't have to have political discussions with my racist Uncle Jerry. But... (laughs) You know, like I've always loved it because you get together with your friends, you know, you start like drinking early, which is a, a hobby of mine. Yeah, um, yeah. You get to make really like, elaborate foods. <laughs> you know, I always like to make cocktails. We make mulled wine every year. So I'm very, very bummed that we're not having Thanksgiving. But like 
the fucking crazy reactionary backlash to the mere notion that maybe you shouldn't travel halfway across the country and sit at a table with 15 other people is like hysterical. I mean, not hysterical, funny, hysterical, like these people have wandering wombs throughout their bodies <laughs> that is throwing off their equilibrium. The, um, the moon is just destroying their shit. Yeah, they're, they're chock full of wombs. <laughs> Got so many fucking wombs up in there. <laughs> Oh goodness! So anyway, that's what Ted Cruz is up to. Yeah, the the I, I'm looking forward to um, you know for the next several months, lots of memes where it's like candied yams with the uh, marshmallows on top, and it just says, "Remember what they took from you." <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys want to get to some good news? Yeah. Um, we're gonna have to go out of the country for that, right? Yes, we are. We're going to have to leave these shores to find some good news. Guatemala protesters set Congress on fire during budget protests. So Guatemalan President uh, Alejandro Giamatti. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. It sounds Italian, but it's Guatemalan. It's Giamatti. It's it's Paul Giamatti. I refuse to believe that the president of I refuse to believe that the president of Guatemala has the last name Giamatti, but whatever. No Merlot. (laughs) (laughs) I do love good Pinot Noir. Yeah, the people want Merlot, and so they burn down (laughs) Giamatti's palace. Palace, No, so basically, what happened is um, the. Guatemalan Congress has passed it, approved a new budget that would basically it's being citizens are charging that it's just blatant corruption. Um, The uh, the budget was negotiated and passed by legislators in secret while uh, the people of Guatemala were distracted by the fallout of back to back hurricanes and the covid-19 pandemic. And basically what they did in this budget is they, first of all, increase their own pay. Um, of course, because, you know, folks got to grind. And they also made massive, <laughs> they made massive cuts to this um, malnutrition program that Guatemala has implemented for years now. And so Guatemala has a horrible malnutrition rate. Like people are not, not just starving, but like starving for basic, like, you know, uh, nutritional necessities that keep your body happy and healthy and so um guatemalans were angered because legislators approved almost fifty thousand. i'm reading from the guardian so it's fifty thousand pounds to pay for meals for themselves but cut funding for coronavirus patients and human rights agencies so and i there was something about a lot of the people who a lot of the officials who saw a raise in their pay and their benefits were also from districts that have historically seen a lot of corruption so uh about a thousand protesters rallied outside of congress and there've also been similar protests breaking out all across the country um they set the congress building on fire part of it burned down and it's just fucking metal. They pulled out a guillotine, brought it in front of the what? Congress building. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yo. Don't let your dreams be dreams. See, this is why we need I mean, tradesmen. We need, or, or tradespeople. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, you fucking misogynist today, Chris. Women can make guillotines, too. <laughs> Some of the best. Some of the best. 
just a lot of really great images out of this. I, we have somebody standing in front of the burning Congress building, just giving the double thumbs up, wearing a mask or double uh, double middle fingers up, wearing a mask. It's just really like incredible. Well, I guess they found out. <laughs> they did. How much did they how fucked much did around they, and they have now found out. Yeah. How much did they give themselves a bonus? What's the... Uh, What's the guillotine level of uh, giving so yourself according to a, the, a pay increase? According to the Guardian, it was roughly 50,000 pounds. That seems like a lot. Like per year? Like 50, 50, that's more than, I don't, that's more than a dollar, article, right? <laughs> I don't think so anymore. Yeah. No, oh, the yeah? pound, is it not more than a dollar? I don't think so anymore. Let's see. British pound. There you go, Steve. Oh yeah, one point three three USD. Yeah, so that's a that's 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 the increase, or is that the total amount? One pound equals one point three three US dollars. Yeah, so it's a it's worth a little bit oh, more than us. So it still is worth a little bit more. Yeah, thirty three percent more. See, I have a STEM background. <laughs> you do. Yeah, that's very impressive. All I can tell you is that uh, numbers don't matter. That's what I can. <laughs> that's what I can assert. So pretty wild. Um, you know, this is what austerity needs to be met with. I I've been I've been having a really tough time. Okay, so this is our wildflower segment. I'm gonna get a little dark, but uh, you know, that's what we tend to do on this show. I've been having a really I've been really struggling lately with and I think a lot of people of our political persuasion are also struggling with the fact that like coronavirus and the inept handling of it by our government. I, I had hoped that that would be a really radicalizing experience for people, and mm-hmm. it seems to be doing the opposite. It seems yeah, to just really deeper be ramping up. Yeah, a lot of reactionary fervor, and um, that's been very hard for me to deal with emotionally, mm-hmm. spiritually, psychologically, because... If this moment isn't radicalizing, if this moment isn't what brings about, like... Strong socialist movement in this country, then I don't know what will. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, I, <laughs> but good I don't for either. Guatemala. I mean, right? it seems to be yeah. working for them. <laughs> you know, it it might be just the the accelerationist argument. You know, like it, things were bad, and I imagine are worse in Guatemala than they are here, right? And that it it hit a certain yeah. threshold, and then bang, the guillotines just come out. Bang, Congress is just lit on fire. And, you know, it'll, it, I don't want to, uh, make it seem like I assume everything's just going to go great for Guatemalans now that they've risen up. Uh, it probably won't, you know, like, as you've said, uh, yeah, you know, revolutions not. tend to break the systems and then reaction tends to build the ones that come after. Uh, and, you know, you know, I wish, wish the people's struggles in, uh, Guatemala the best. And I hope that they, you know, can get some semblance of justice and hopefully a more sustainable and egalitarian economy going forward. But I don't know. I, I, I guess in answer to your question, brief uh, answer, it's like something else, something else will be the thing, you know, if it's not the um, the pandemic. Like, you know, I think we were talking about on the live stream, like how we're all totally ignorant as to how to properly navigate this pandemic. And we're coming up with the rules on the fly because the situation on the ground is constantly changing. You know, I just read an article uh, that we'll get into on our bonus, which we're going to record. Uh, and if you want to listen to that, you know, go to uh, patreon.com slash ironweeds and, uh, you know, subscribe for as little as a dollar. Um, but 
it, the, or as article, much as a million dollars. Exactly. Uh, but uh, in that article that we're going to be talking about, it um, there's a rise in COVID cases in Troy. And uh, the rules about what to do, how seriously to take this, how to behave, how at what threshold do you let your friends and family within your pod know of your physical, uh, you know, condition if it changes, you know, like all those those you know really important sort of social guidelines are changing rapidly. And so I think yeah. you know yeah. the the long and the short of my argument as to why we this isn't a radicalizing for a socialist movement is that it's really confusing. It's not entirely straightforward mm. as to what the solutions are, you know, like everyone's freaking out. They're like, for God's sake, just let Biden in on the coronavirus briefings. Like, come on. <laughs> and as if, you know, that incredibly powerful brain is going to um, somehow <laughs> turn just, the tide on this. Just fix everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gonna, you know, yeah. If, only, if only he got the briefings, like we'd be out of this by now. Um, but, you know, yeah. we, we don't know. We don't know how to deal with this moment. And. Uh, you know, it, we're very primed to have this be a moment of retrenchment or greater entrenchment into, you know, our already sort of demarcated political boundaries. Um, I think it's going to take something weirdly and horribly that is even more disruptive than this to sort of shake the scales off of people's eyes. But, you know, that's that's my optimism, uh, doom and bloom uh, perspective on it. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we hopefully will. we we learned something from Guatemala. Yeah, how to Thank fucking you, Guatemala. take it, take it to those fuckers. All right, are we done for the day, boys? I think we are. I don't have any Lennon for you guys this week. Um, I'm I'm so sorry, but I just I was sick all last week, and not with the coronavirus, something else. I don't know what. Uh, and. I am just so covered up in work right now. I'm working on the next um, series for Reaction, which is just gobbling up all of my free time. I'm behind on literally everything. But uh, my hope is that I'll be able to just go ahead and record all of the rest of Lennon in a, in a, you know, the next couple of weeks. And then we'll just release chunks of it so that I'm not constantly playing catch up. So I, I do apologize for that. And thanks for your patience on that. Stay safe. Don't go to Thanksgiving, I think. I, I think that's the official Ironweed stance, right? Don't. Don't do it. It's not or worth it. it. <laughs> or do it. Whatever. It's not, it's yeah, not well, worth it. Turkey's not even that yeah, good. Em and I are uh, hosting her father and her sister, who are effectively within our pod. So, oh, okay. you know, again, it won't be uh, yeah. any extenuating circumstances. Um, I think I use that phrase right. Um, and I, you know, it sucks that we're going back to remote. We hate recording remote. I, I hope that it's still a reasonably enjoyable experience for the listeners, but, um, you know, it's hard to carry on like a smooth conversation with the delay and not being in the same room with someone, but it really does feel like that's the responsible thing for us to do right now. As Chris mentioned, we'll talk in the bonus about Troy's numbers and, um, I just, I couldn't forgive myself if, if I got a friend sick uh, I couldn't forgive myself if I got brain damage just because I wanted to sit and see Chris's beautiful face in person. Aww. Like I just don't. I couldn't forgive myself. <laughs> would not be I just the don't first think I could person do it, that, you know? that uh, threatens or themselves with brain damage just to look upon Chris's beautiful <laughs> visage. Oh yeah, yeah. 
many, many people have done this. Yeah. They risk like just permanent brain damage just to see Chris. He's, 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 yeah, he's, but, so, he's so gorgeous. But, but less and less as the year drags on, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm trying not to take that personally. So, you know, and, know and so, that. you know, my advice for everybody going forward is like, you know, what it was in the beginning of this. Just like, be safe, uh, be smart. Uh, communicate to your friends and family and also give yourself and everyone around you a ton of patience. Like, you know, Brittany, yeah. you're, you're yeah. an incredibly hardworking person. You're the hardest working woman in uh, podcasting <laughs> business and you're doing great. And your voice is sounding much better today than it did Thank uh, you. on it's Friday. It's a low bar. But uh, but <laughs> yeah, I know. I definitely feel a lot better than I did on Friday. Friday, I sounded like a, I sounded like the uh, 17 year smoker that I am. Um. Coming up on a year of not regularly smoking. I've cheated here and there in 2020, but uh, I have not been a regular consistent smoker since January of this year. So I'm excited Fuck for that. Yeah. Mazel tov. And thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I don't know. In the meantime, find us on Twitter. Iron Weeds Pod. Find us on Instagram. Iron Weeds Pod. Shoot us an email. We love hearing from you. Iron Weeds Pod. At gmail.com. <laughs> so hard to harmonize that when we are apart. Um, but thank you so much, and we love you. And as always, bye bye. Bye bye. Peace.